Hey, how you doing? It's Clayton here from HowToDrawComics.net. This episode, I'm joined by co-host Rick Below to chat with the dynamic artist duo Comfort Love and Adam Withers. Without giving too much away, these two have self-published multiple comic books and even written a book on how to do it yourself. As if that wasn't enough, they're also regular guests at comic and anime conventions across the country, as well as educational and motivational speakers. Comfort and Adam, I want to give you a warm welcome to the show. It's awesome to have you here. Oh, well, it's awesome to be here. Thank you so much for having us, you guys. Yeah, we're happy to be. <laughs> You're very welcome. And Rick, you're quite excited to uh, have these two on, aren't you? You organized the entire thing. Oh, yeah, I'm really excited. And it's been really a trip for me because the, when I first contacted them, I actually contacted them just thinking that they were working only on a webcomic. Yeah, but it was but much the more than that. I, but the, the more I dwelt into uh, into it and and did my research, I was like, okay, these guy, these, these two are not just doing doing a webcomic. They are actually, in my view, big time, uh, <laughs> big to big time indie indie names, which confused me because I use I I, I pride myself with knowing what's you know going on going on in the indie comics and you guys just i've i haven't i haven't heard about you before and then suddenly you were there and but that's great you sound starstruck rick yeah i was no, taken it's... back yeah yeah, uh, it's actually one of our uh, tough things that we're always dealing with because if you look at our style, it looks very mainstream. Like we like to think of our style as, uh, you know, halfway in between uh, manga and American comics. Uh, we describe it like animated realism. And so it's very detailed and it's very polished and it's very much not what people think of as indie. And so oftentimes when people are talking about indie stuff, we never get brought up because we get put in different categories or sort of kind of ignored just because we don't have the normal indie style. Yeah, it's also one of the things that I think is great about the comic scene right now is that what's happening in the indies is so big and so broad that you can get as deep into the independent scene as you want and still only get the shallowest level of what's going on out there. There's always more to find, always more to see. Mm, that's what I love about it as well, Adam, because um, with with such an amount of, of depth of different titles and different creators behind them, it's... Uh, it, it excites me because it means that the comic books that you're seeing aren't just sitting on the shelves of your comic book store. There's a plethora of them out there that you don't even know about yet. And uh, I don't know, that, I guess, ambiguity is a little bit exciting to me because it, it means that there's just so much more to explore. And yeah, when you come across gems like what you guys are creating, it's absolutely amazing because your art is up there. Like, it's obliterating some of the stuff that you see in the mainstream comic books. Um, and yeah, you, you described it perfectly. It's kind of an anime comic book look, um, cartoon realism, as you described it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I see a little bit of influence from uh, Michael Turner in the way that you draw your eyes. Sometimes is that is that something I'm just seeing? Uh, we we hear we that very a lot. Much we come from the '90s, you guys. Yeah, yeah definitely. Awesome. I love it. '90s. That was the era that inspired us most. I think if you 
just ran down a list of all of the creators from the old Cliffhanger Comics imprint. That mm. is our DNA, artistically. Nice. Uh, Joe Manarera, uh, Chris Pacello, J. Scott Campbell. Uh, these these were the guys who really... Humberto Ramos. Humberto Ramos, mm-hmm. yeah. Totally. I definitely see the, the J. Scott Campbell influence. He's an amazing oh, yeah. artist as well. And I think, you know, these more stylized uh, styles, you could say have a certain amount of life and energy to them that you just don't get in the more, you know, ultra-realistic-looking comic book art. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Realism can be very limiting. Mm. Uh, Something that we talk about frequently is that you want to make art within comics especially, broadly, but especially within comics, where you're trying to tell a story, your art has to be emotionally communicative you have to be able to speak to somebody uh, heart to heart not just in their head and so you have to be able to show them i think more than just what the eye can see art has to speak on a, on a visceral kind of a level and sometimes when you're so focused on you know your your hatching styles and your rendering styles and or making sure that likeness is a hundred and fifty percent and photo referencing everything yes. you're so focused on what the eye can perceive that you're not speaking to the heart of the audience anymore yeah absolutely couldn't agree more so why don't you guys uh, tell us how long have you been creating comics for because it looks like you're uh, you're rather well versed in it you've got a couple titles out at the moment very very polished looking uh, along with um, at the how-to book on how to publish your stuff I mean a lot of that must have taken much trial and error to uh, to figure it all out so uh, you've been doing it for a while I assume we have yes. our, it's actually this is our tenth year. Wow. Yeah, well, uh, this is our 10th year. Let's specify here. This is our 10th year of being full-time. Before that, like, we got out of uh, college. Uh, we graduated in 2004, but our first convention we did what, on being behind the table in Artist Alley was 2003. And so technically we have been behind the table now for, what, like 15 years or so? Something like. So a long, long time we've been doing this, and it took a while to really make it the full-time job. Uh, It didn't happen uh, until a year into, so I guess only nine years full-time. It didn't happen until one year into self-publishing our own comics. So we started self-publishing in 2008, and by 2009 it was our full-time job. That's amazing. Wow, so we should be, you know, celebrating, really, your uh, your Uh, 10-year anniversary. (laughs) One decade. Yeah. So, so have you known each other for 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 your whole lives, grown up together, or uh-huh. how did how did you you two meet? And did you did you meet due to your passion of art, or more randomly than that? I'm inter- I'm curious about how you two meet, met and how it became became into this what it yeah. is now. Uh, well, we met when we were 19 years old. Uh, we were both going to an art college, uh, the Kendall College of Art and Design. Here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where we still live. We liked it so much, we just stayed. Mm-hmm. Um, we met when we were sophomores, and we would sit together, uh, or groups of people would sit together in a common area at the school, and 
frequently would just sort of take whatever projects that were working on for classes and lay them out in the middle of the table while we were all sketching in our sketchbooks or whatever so that sort of anybody around could take a peek at what the others were looking at or working on. Excuse me. Um, and I saw a Sandman piece, Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Somebody was doing a project with the Endless characters. And I, having only just started reading Sandman, wanted to look like I knew what I was talking about. So I said, oh, Sandman, huh? Yeah, who did this? And I said, I did. And Adam was like, a girl? <laughs> My goodness. It was still quite uncommon at the yes. time for girls to admit to liking comics. My my young students, because we both uh, we both teach one class each at this point, because we used to do a lot of teaching. We don't have time for that now, but mm. we love mentoring. Yeah. And at this point, I'd say 70, 90% of our classes are always female. So our young girls that we have are shocked at how irregular this was once yeah. upon a time. Yeah. yeah, but that was that was pretty much it. We got to talking that day, and we have been more or less inseparable ever since. <laughs> uh, I like to say that we figured out how to be ourselves by being together. So true. That's awesome. That's a beautiful way to describe it as well, because, I mean, when you meet the right person, that's kind of what happens, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, there's a little bit of magic there. I mean, it's a lot of hard work. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Anything worth having is a lot of hard work. That's right. right. Mm -hmm. Totally. And you guys seem very in tune with each other, like in, just in the way you, you're speaking here now. Um, it seems like you're almost running a script with one another, right? It's very, uh, <laughs> everyone's very in sync. Um, <laughs> it's just a result of being together all the time. All the time. But, I mean, when we do our public speaking and stuff like that, you know, we do a lot of sentence finishing. And, uh, mm. you know, we're, we've been together so much, we do kind of have a hive mind. Yeah. That's we good. have to be careful when talking to other people to make sure we speak in complete sentences. Because <laughs> the rest is all telekinetic, right? Right. That's right. That's we, right. we know each other so well. I, I know where she's going before she's gotten there. That's awesome. Well, why don't you walk us through a typical day in the studio for you guys? What does that look like? Yes. Uh, all well, right. So we uh, we tend towards uh, what uh, what here we call a, a second shift lifestyle, which is right. mm -hmm. later in the evenings, and we start a little later in the mornings. Yep. I don't think I'll be up till about nine nine thirty, and then for the first like couple of hours or hour and a half, like I'll be doing messages. And Adam will have stayed up a little bit later than me, so he'll get up about ten thirty in the morning. And, uh, you know, he'll check the morning articles and stuff yeah. to make sure he's on top of everything. Stay abreast on what's happening exactly. in the world. Exactly, because cool. you've got to stay current. So I'll listen to the news while I'm doing messages, you know, just regular old, you know, NPR radio. And then Adam will, you know, check all these different sites and stuff. And then we do breakfast. And then we always exercise because this is a very sedentary lifestyle. Yes, it is. If you're not careful as an artist, you can really let yourself degrade. Well, we've, uh, we've had the lesson of a lot of friends that didn't make it. Uh, and uh, that's in part because we live a sedentary lifestyle. Yeah. So we've learned so we, hard lessons. We find a lot of excuses to get out of the house, take walks, uh, you know. Keep ourselves active. Do some yoga. But uh, by around, yeah, yoga, right. absolutely. 
Uh, and by around uh, one or two o'clock, we're at work, and there we will stay for more or less the rest of the day. Yeah, and we'll uh, be done at one in the morning. Yeah. Wow, cool. So how much sleep do you guys get typically? Probably still about eight hours or so, right? Uh, Seven or eight, give I, or take. I do about six. I think that's cool. my average. I do six. That's because, awesome. like, you're clocking out at about one, and then sort of depending – you know, how the night goes for how you sleep. I think if I can do six, I'm very good. Mm. We would do better if we didn't always find something really interesting to talk about right at the end of the night. Also true. I don't know why we wait until two in the morning to start these conversations, but... Yep, I've been there, Adam. Don't worry. We have to talk about it. Yeah, they, they, that's, what, that, that's what happens. It, <laughs> your brain your brain has to fart out the last of its synergies. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, when you guys are working on stories that are super exciting, you've probably got them playing out inside your head constantly. It It's impossible to go to sleep, and it's impossible to sleep in in the morning, right? Because you just want to get into it. Um, so, yeah, that's awesome. And it's an amazing lifestyle to live as well, when you can wake up and work on something every day that, together, that the both of you are passionate about. I mean, that's the dream, right? It absolutely is. And, you know, it's hard sometimes. There's nothing you can do this much where there aren't going to be days that you would rather be doing anything else in the world. When we're in heavy production, I think we are up, you know, I'm up at 9, but then, like, we're working till about 2.30 at night. And, mm -hmm. you know, all the other, like, things sort of start getting cut out. So it becomes, you know, a 16, 18-hour-a-day yeah. Just to try and get things done and Make try sure and get it to the printer. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and sometimes can get pretty rough, but it is, it's the love of what we do. At the end of the day, there is, I can't imagine anything else that we could be doing that we actually have the skills to do <laughs> yeah. that would be nearly so fulfilling and rewarding as what we get to do. Yeah, totally. And it, it can really put things in perspective when as hard and as tough and as boring as it can be sometimes to do the same thing day after day, when you think about the alternative, it's like there's, just, <laughs> there's no other option, right? Um, you back in pretty quick. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you get through those tough times where you're just feeling unmotivated? Do the two of you kind of, you know, cheer each other on and, and psych each other up to, to keep on going or...? Absolutely. Uh, it's it's one of the ways in which I think we have been the most fortunate having each other is the support that we can give to each other. Uh, artists can tend to be a fairly withdrawn and depressive lot. What? I Shocking. know. I've <laughs> never heard this. No, if our lives were, <laughs> if, we, if we led full and complete lives that were happy and satisfying, we wouldn't have to create brand new universes to spend so much of our time in. Very true. Uh, it's our sadness that made us creative, uh, but that absolutely can get the better of us sometimes. Uh, and I think any of us and, and your listeners will, all of us know at least a handful of people that have struggled from time to time with that sort of thing. Uh, whether it comes up in major ways, uh, uh, really difficult, uh, challenging kind of ways, or even simple things like just artist block that seems to last and last. Uh, but we have each other, and mm -hmm. fortunately, it's extremely rare that we both wind up bottomed out at the same time. That's awesome. Um, and if we do, even when we do, it's different when the person you love is in that place and you're watching them go through it. You don't want that to be where they're at. You, you, you want to help them. 
Exactly. Yeah. You want to help. Something kicks in and suddenly my sadness doesn't matter as much as the fact that I need to help her. Yep. Or vice versa. Or vice versa, yeah. Yeah, that's always the way it works. Well, that's yeah. fantastic. I mean... Yeah, Rick? Were you, were what, kind of, what kind of... Well, <laughs> sorry. Um, what, no, kind of, what kind of advice would you have to people that don't have that 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 uh, help from a, from a partner to bring uh, to bring you up do you do could could you share some advice because we have that this problem in our house draw comics group a lot where it's asked how to get how to get past artist blocks how to get past lack yes. of motivation well there's two Absolutely. things i'd say to that um firstly even if you don't have a partner as close as what we have everybody has people in their lives and everybody reaches points where you might need to reach out to those people, you know, and, and we need the friendships that we have to keep us sane, to keep us going. And anytime that you allow uh, what you do in life to become more important than who you are in life, uh, we just need to take a step back and relax and be around the people that make us feel human again. And remember why you do it and what you do it for. And to make sure that you seek out friendships so you do have that support group you know that support system underneath you so that's number one number two is honestly planning yes absolutely uh, a lot of times artist block and writer's block both it comes at that point where you're staring at the blank page and you have no idea what you're going to do next but and go ahead i would say most people though start into a drawing or start into writing something yeah in the writer's terms it's that I have a vague idea of what I want to do, and I say, okay, I'm going to set out, and I'm just going to write it. And so I have to start from the beginning. <laughs> once once upon, upon a time, time yeah. this and this happened, and that and that happened. And that's the worst way you can do it, because you're having to sort of guess at where that story is going to go. You need to start planning, laying out, and giving yourself notes for things. If you're going to be doing drawing, you should be giving yourself projects and projects that you actually have to follow up on and finish. I think artists can suffer this worse than writers in some ways because there's an understanding with writers that I'm going to have to do rough drafts. I'm going to have to work my way through my ideas. I'm going to need to lay, you know, prepare things before I write them. You know, we're so used to the idea of the rough draft in writing that it's accepted as second nature. Yeah. Uh, if a writer said, no, 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 I don't, I don't do drafts you would think that person is crazy. But artists seem to feel like we should just jump into our drawings and have the final idea come out of our pen the it's first time. It's because there is a mm. fantasy that goes through the arts community as a whole, and that is that writing, drawing, whatever that is under the umbrella of arts is somehow magic. That's yeah. what we use the word talent for, yeah. is it doesn't describe somebody who's been working tirelessly to get better. Oh, art just, is such a gift. It's a it's gift. It's a gift. <laughs> like it just it arrives happens. one day. No. I, we can do what we do because we've been doing it forever. I was six when I decided I wanted to make comics, right? A anybody does anything from the time they're six to the time they're 37, hopefully they'd be pretty good at it. There's a lot that I suck at because I prioritized art instead. So plan things out. Think ahead about what you want to do. Have an idea of where your story's going. Uh, you know, if you're a writer, 
write out plot points in advance so that you always know what the next step is going to be. If you're an artist, lay out whole scenes. Do thumbnail drawings for full scenes before you start drawing the first page so that you always know where to go next. Um, if you're working on rough ideas for a single pinup image or something, a poster that you want to draw, save anything that you don't use because the poses that didn't work this time might work next time. And when you're sitting there with no idea of what the heck you're going to draw, pull up the file of unused poses and see if one speaks to you now and turn it into something else. Totally. That's some amazing advice, guys. Yeah. Completely, and and the whole talent thing, I just said not at all uh, and left because uh, we have had many talks about this in other episodes uh, on on talent, and you just nailed it right there, right there, in how it should be defined. That mm. it's not just something; it's something we've actually worked our asses for yeah. to get. It's not something that just popped up with a with a wave of a hand, and suddenly suddenly yeah. we could draw. Mm, totally. And Talent is just a nice word for the end result of a lot of hard work. You know one of the things I hate hearing? I hate, and I, I hear this because we do a lot of reviews at conventions and stuff like that. Um, and there are many people who also do reviews. And one of the things a lot of other people like to say, which I wish were not the case, and there's not as many as there used to be, but they said, well, kid, you either got it or you don't, which is a lot. It's nonsense. It's a nonsense. Everybody thing. who's got it today didn't have it at one point. Mm -hmm. Very true. Mm -hmm. And exactly. and that goes for the greats as well. You know, Jim Lee and and uh, Todd McFarlane, all these guys. They had they they were always working hard to, to get better. You know, and it is. Jim Lee shared on social media copies of his rejection letters that he got when he was trying to break in when he was younger. Adam and I have seen images, sketches from Adam Hughes, who gamed with friends of ours when, when, they, he, when was he was young. a kid. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So, where where do you think this this illusion comes from for for so many of us artists who are trying to get better and think that we have to be perfect, that we have to project this immaculate illustration down on the page from the get go? Is it that we only ever get to see the finished product of those who inspire us most, and that we never really get to see the behind the scenes so much? I'd say there's a couple things. Um, neither of them, unfortunately, neither of them overly positive. Uh, the oh, yeah. first, I think there is a, and this goes across the disciplines, whether you're an artist, a musician, uh, a mathematician, anything that people can be good at, people who wish they were good at it want to feel better about the fact that they don't have that skill. And so the, the mythical idea of talent as magic comes in part from a way that people need to let themselves off the hook. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of wish I could do that. I know I'm not going to spend time learning to do it. And that, I don't like thinking about that. I don't like thinking that my inability is a choice that I made. So instead, it's not that I didn't choose to do the thing. It's that they were just born special. Yeah. That's the profound. Second, yeah, yeah. The second thing I believe, and Adam, you can tell me sure. if this is where you were going. But the second thing is a perpetuation by artists themselves yes. who want everybody to love their work in a way that they believe it is magic. And uh, it's the artists, like the writer, I hear this from writers all the time, like, oh, I just, 
I don't think about anything else. Just right, right for me. Right. I don't think about the audience. No. Never, never think about I'm not audience. laying these things out. It just happens. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. There's a sure it does, it. buddy. There's a mystique to it and it makes you feel mm -hmm. it makes your stuff feel special in a way. Uh, but it perpetuates something that for young creators who don't know any better, they buy into that mystique and they feel like if I'm not having the same results, then I must not be good enough. And it's extremely damaging, I think. There's a lot of people who walk away because they have a lot of trouble early on. They don't realize that everybody had trouble early on. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. I mean, ta drawing, the ability to draw, the ability to write, all of these are, are technical skills. They all have rules that they abide by in, in order to be classed as, as good. And sometimes it's all in the eye of the beholder anyway at the end of the day. So it's, yeah. it is sad when, when people think that it's some kind of unreachable, magical gift that some people have and some people don't, when really it's just like anything else, any other skill that you'll go into there will be a certain amount of time that it takes you to put it into practice and, and get good through repetition, but it can definitely be done. It all comes down yeah. to it's why you write your yeah. book, right, Clayton? You want to teach people how to do it. Well, ex exactly, one hundred percent. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's like the idea of the suffering artist. Uh, which, you know, an artist is suffering, an artist is, d endures pain, and they put that pain on the page, and that's what makes their work so great, and it, it makes people feel like if I'm not struggling and suffering, I'm not a real artist. There's almost an encouragement to have a bad time, an encouragement to think of this as like uh, a weight that you must bear, totally. the weight of your creativity. Like it's supposed to be hard. And that comes... Uh, that com yeah, exactly, and that yeah. can confuse that can confuse many new artists because I started doing this because I love it and have a passion for it, and now you say I have to struggle and have a, yeah. a, and have a hard time with it. Of course, that's gonna confuse new artists, and that might even stop them from progressing over that over that wall that tells them to you need to struggle. Yeah, yep. absolutely. People on the other side of it who do have challenges with depression and, and mental illness, uh, they feel like, oh, well, this is how I'm supposed to be. This makes me better somehow. You know, there's the talk like, well, if, if Van Gogh had been alive today, they'd have medicated him and he never would have created his brilliant art. Well, if he'd have been around and gotten psychological help, he would have made a lot more paintings. You know? Yeah. It, this idea that the struggle of mental illness makes you a better creator keeps people who could do better to get some help. It keeps them in a box, mm. feeling like my pain is my creativity, and if I give up my pain, I won't be creative anymore. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, that's a scary thought to associate your pain to the, the thing that you're passionate about and love most. Um, so working together in a team, guys, do you yes. guys ever ever clash creatively? I mean, it's got, it has its good times, but it's got to be like in any working in any other team. There's got to be, you know, the times where it's a little bit tough. And uh, oh, yeah. if if you do clash, how do you guys you know get past it so everybody wins? Uh, not as carefully as we should. It's <laughs> it can be very hard. Um, the things that make this partnership so great can also have downsides. Um, you, 
you can't get space from your creative partner when you live together. Yeah. So if you're in the middle of a very heated argument about what you're going to do with a story, uh, there's nowhere you can really go. <laughs> you have to live with it. Um, and you have to find a solution to yeah. it. So that does force us. We can't just be like, well, I'm just going to walk away from this. Like, oh, that's a lot to walk away from. So I don't think that's an option. Yeah. When things work out their best, what it is, is we find a third option. Yes. And we have to ask ourselves a few questions. And these things usually come up not so much with art because art is a little bit more, like, straightforward. The writing is a bit more subjective. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where the story goes. Because the, people get into comics art for a lot of different reasons. I feel like, for the most part, it breaks down more or less two ways. Uh, there are people who get into art because they like making beautiful illustrations. And there's people who get into art because they like telling stories. And we make comics because we like telling stories. That's the art that most interested us. So, therefore, the nature of the stories we're telling is the most important part to us. And, therefore, that's the part that the arguments can get the most heated about. Um, and when this happens, when we get on the path to finding a solution... The best way that we know how is to ask ourselves, what is the thing that we want? What, what is it that I want that Comfort's idea is not giving me? What is the thing that Comfort wants that my idea isn't giving her? Because if my idea was so great, she wouldn't hate it so damn much. <laughs> well, and on top of all that, too, you have to ask yourself a few questions about the story. What's the point of this scene? What are we moving forward? Are we doing plot? Are we doing character? Are we doing story, the heart of it? You know, what it's really about, the, the underlying themes, emotion, yeah. yes. And once I know these things, once we know these things, then it's going to be a lot easier to figure out what does this actually need. I know what I want, I know what Adam wants, but what does this particular moment in the story actually need? The, the theme that you hear over and over in these responses is, we have to be able to put our ego aside and say, what is the best thing for this story? We have to care about the story we're telling and the characters we're writing more than we care about our own particular idea about where the scene should go or how this dialogue should read or whatever it happens to be. Mm. Yeah, I think there's a brilliant lesson in there for every, anybody who's working in a team or a group of people in terms of being able to solve the differences between each other creatively and remember what the main point of working together is, what you're all working toward. Um, and I guess there's no better way to discover that than to work on stories with, uh, you know, your, your partner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally. And whoever your partner might be, because your partner might be your spouse like us, your partner might be your best friend. Your partner might be a work colleague that you were put together, like, you know, just like you and you, you're on a team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And do you guys ever work on solo projects uh, separately from one another, or is it always, you know, everything that you create is together? Basically, it's always Essentially teamwork. everything, yeah, it's always yeah. teamwork. Like, every once in a while, the commissions are separate, but even with the commissions, like, it's not uncommon that... You know, uh, almost all the time, like, we lay something out and then we'll pass it to the other person and then the other person will draw a few lines, be like, oh, do this, 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 and pass it back. Or, you know, 
one of us will do the drawing and one of us will do the color or we'll just uh, hand it back and forth, even just by convenience sake, yeah. trying to get things done faster. But whenever we're doing pages, like we're both writing it, you know, first of all, like we're both taking drafts, like the way we even write it at this point is we talk about it, we write out uh, the structure for it, you know, so we do a outline, then we do a breakdown. So outlines are page, page to page, scene to scene. So page, you know, one to three, this is a scene, this is what happens. Page, you know, four to six, this is what happens. A uh, breakdown is page to page, panel to panel. So you don't go over how many panels you have. Which so, is a problem we had a lot early exactly. on. <laughs> and so once that's set up, then we know what we're basically going to do. So I say, I want to write this, this, this scene. And then says, great, well, I'm going to do this, this, this scene. And then once that's done, we pass it back and forth for a few drafts until we have looked over the whole thing, looked over each other's parts, made sure that the writing is solid, and that's when it goes out to the editors. And when we're doing the pages... The drawing. The drawing, right. The actual drawing. We break it up scene by scene. Yep. Uh, fortunately, there's a lot of times where uh, artistically the things that excite one of us aren't necessarily the favorite parts for the other. Um, mm -hmm. I, I usually wind up getting the action scenes. Um, Comfort will get a lot of the uh, the lengthy dialogue back and forth, those kinds of things. The emotional scenes. The emotional scenes. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Although I think both of us are happiest uh, when we're drawing <laughs> interactions We just do characters, characters talking. Like, and I will still do action, and sure. Adam will still do emotion. Absolutely. It just sort of gets weighted one way or the other. So we've defined up uh, who's going to lay out what scene because uh, it just makes more sense if you've got a single vision for a given moment. Uh, and then I will draw more of the foregrounds. Well, actually, lately we've been more breaking it up yeah. by character. Certain characters will be mine, certain characters will be comforts. And she'll draw her part, I'll draw my part. Uh, you know, part of the backgrounds I'll do. Um, some of the background figure work she'll do. Sometimes it's interns. Sometimes it's <laughs> interns, sure. Well, I mean, it's got to get done. Mm -hmm. uh, and for color, she will do most of the foreground color and set up the lighting schemes, and I will do most of the background color, lay in special effects and textures yep. and that kind of thing. That is super cool. You've got your whole workflow worked out, guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Production we pipeline 101. We are a machine, and that's the way that we can get it all done. Yep. And uh, if things, you know, work out as we continue to try and figure out how to become more efficient, one of the things that we'll do is we will start bringing in other people to do more drawing and more color. Yeah. We, we uh, recently did a project called The Kitty Game, which we wrote and our good friend Corinne Roberts did all the artwork for. And it was an idea that we had kicking around for a while. We our cat owners and animal lovers generally, and sometimes our cats will just spaz out and start chasing nothing for no reason, running around the house like crazy people. And we thought, what do they think they're doing right now? Like, what, what are they after? And the idea of what the fantasies of the cats might be became something we would joke about, and eventually we thought, well, let's write this down. But we didn't have the time to do the art. That's one of the things we've discovered over the years is we have way more stories we want to tell than we have time to draw. 
totally. Yeah. We had to start expanding. Yeah, I saw. I, I did notice the difference in the art style with um, what was it? The the cat story? kitty game. Kitty game. Yeah, I noticed there was a difference in that art style, and I'd wondered who had done it differently. Whether it was this was exclusively uh, Adam's work or exclusively Comfort's work. So there you go. Um, that's that's super cool. So how long does it take you guys to produce one book? Working together, it must speed up the process somewhat, especially having it as down as you guys do. Here's the thing, and, and there's two answers to that. The first straightforward, simple answer is, uh, if we have nothing else uh, taking our time, we can write, draw, color, letter, fully produce a single issue of our book in about two months. Awesome. That is never the case. That is never the case. We never have nothing else going on. Uh, there are always other things uh, demanding our time. Even if we didn't have the conventions, uh, the couple classes we teach, the uh, uh, side things that we're doing with friends or, or colleagues, uh, the Patreon, the streaming, all the different things that we do. If, even if we had none of that, uh, there is still just regular day-to-day -day kind of family things that come up. There is social media, which is a time. Social hog. media takes a lot of effort. <laughs> when you're self-publishing comic books, you are running a small business. Yep. And we have all of the same challenges, all of the same time sinks, all of the same business that we have to deal with. If we were doing house siding or installing windows, it would be the same. We just happen to produce comic books with our small business. Very true. And I think that's one thing that a lot of artists who want to publish their own, or a lot of creators, I should say, artists and writers, who want to publish their own books don't necessarily realize that, hey, this goes beyond it just being a, a creative output. It's also you're running a small business. If you want to keep it going and sustain it financially exclusively through your creativity. Um, so I think, you know, being in that mindset and having it, being something that directs the decisions you make on a day-to-day -day basis, like keeping up with the social media, which, by the way, I haven't been very good at recently, um, <laughs> you know, because th things distract you, right? Especially when you're, you're right into a project and you're running against a deadline, it's super hard to balance it all out and to make sure everything gets that needs your attention gets it. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yep. So That is eternal frustration. Absolutely. So who are your top artistic influences and um, how have they impacted your over, the overall aesthetic for your work? Because what's interesting to me about that is I have no doubt that you're both inspired by different people and that they've both had an impact on your work. And then at the same time, you've had to reach some kind of synchrony within your style so that there's a sense of consistency within your books. Well, I can speak to... Um for myself, I think my my biggest influences when I was first getting into comics and drawing when I was a child, like a small child, picking up a pencil, drawing my own little comics on lined paper instead of paying attention in class. Uh, I was really into the Justice League International comic. Uh, it was one of the first books that I collected, but of all of the books I collected as a kid, the art really just it was something so special from kevin mcguire first into adam hughes second and the biggest thing i took away from them was the expressiveness of the characters yeah. when you look at uh 
either Hughes or McGuire, their work tells a story in a single image just from the expressions on the characters' faces. There is so much life to their characters, so much humanity to their characters. That's what I was always striving to replicate in my own work. Because there were other artists who did like cool pin-up-y kind of nice art. I, I love Jim Lee. I was alive in the 90s. Come on. Yeah, yeah totally. But, uh, Amazing artist. Had the humanity of those guys. Yeah. Just the raw, pure human emotion. When things happened to their characters, you felt it too. And that was something that I really wanted to bring into my own work ever since I was very young. Mm, well, for me, oh, sorry, go, Clayton. Well, I was just going to add to that, that it's, it's absolutely necessary to have that when it comes to comic books, right? I mean, you want your audience to be able to relate with your characters emotionally and whether or not those characters are bigger than life, you know, they're, they're these divine, super-powered uh, you know creatures right um you know you want you still want the audience to relate to them as you know being able to be you know comprehensible to some point and whether or not they they want to be that person or be with that person um to you know the the regular characters within the comic and i think every single actor that you're going to have within your story is has got to have some kind of emotional impact on the audience otherwise you're just leaving room for the audience to become disconnected from the story, even if it's just for one panel. So oh, the biggest more. mistake any artist can make is to want your characters to look cool. <laughs> the harder you're trying to make your characters look cool, the less human they're going to feel. The more they're going to feel like they're just posing all the time, like you're taking photos of a model rather than capturing a moment of human expression. Mm. Sometimes people are going to cry and it's going to look ugly. Yeah. Our emotions look stupid. You look at what we're feeling. Watch somebody, like, completely without context, watch somebody cry and see how And not just the Hollywood cry. Oh, yeah, no, like, like straight big up water fountain tears, so hard no sound comes out. Just terrible crying. And if you look at it totally devoid of context, that is one of the most ridiculous faces a person can make. But we would never laugh at that person. We would never think poorly of that person because we know what that means. We've felt those feelings. We've been those places. And it triggers that empathy response inside of us when we see people that way. So if you recreate that on your page... There's going to be, in a lot of people, the impulse to pull back because that kind of looks dopey and there's too many lines on the chin and they got like this double neck thing going on and mm. it's yeah, gross. Don't, who cares? Mm. Who cares if they look cool in this moment? They're terrified. They're more, they're, they're broken, breaking down in front of us. Give us that. Let us feel that. And that will connect me to your art, your characters, and your story more deeply and profoundly than any amount of slowly putting on sunglasses after a one-liner. <laughs> Even though that is pretty dumb cool. <laughs> that is, yeah. that is Admittedly. And that doesn't mean your characters can never look cool, sure. but coolness can never be your goal with your characters. Humanity has to be. Mm -hmm. And sometimes coolness springs from humanity. Yeah, often. Yep. That's right. And uh, Rick, were you so going to jump in there? Yeah, I was just going to, before we completely jumped over comfort with the uh, with the, oh, the yeah. just bring it back a little so we comfort could get her her answers in as well. On yes, yes. So uh, I think that when Adam's talking about humanity, like we honestly have 
exceedingly similar influences because we both grew up in the 90s. We both like a lot of the same artists. Yeah. And on top of Kevin McGuire and Adam Hughes, uh, which both of us really loved back then, I think both of us loved the young comics, which was Gen X and Gen 13. Yep. And both of those were helmed by two people who really brought out the emotion and the expression and, importantly, the fun of comics. Because yes. comics, in some ways, have gotten so bogged down with being dour and serious, serious yeah. that those two comics and those two artists, which is Chris Capuccello and uh, uh, J. Scott Campbell, kicked you in the ass with something that was lively and yeah. exciting and invigorating. And that's the other part of what we wanted to have is something that made you feel like this is fascinating. Fun. Fun, I'm fascinating. having a yeah. great time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And, and I mean, I guess that is the, the cool factor there mixed with the emotional impact that your artwork can have, which is a great combination. I mean, I think comic art needs that because, okay, you've got the emotional experience of that you will go through in real life. You know, you, you have it with your friends and your family and your partner. We all go through these emotional experiences. But to heighten that experience, when you're able to delve into the world of comic books where everything is so much bigger than reality and you're able to escape into that world, I mean, it's almost like everything's turned up to, like, instead of 100%, it's like 200% now. And so it's that much uh, impactful. Yeah. Yeah, you have to exaggerate everything that you're drawing in order to make sure that it's going to have the impact you want it to have. Yeah. So just a quick question. You know, you said that you're... In one of your influences or one of the artists that you admired back in the 90s was Jim Lee. And I feel like Jim Lee is one of those artists who does kind of have, you know, a lot of cool in his work, which outweighs the uh, mm -hmm. the, the conveying of emotion as much, right? Yeah. Um, so what is it about his work for you, Adam, and uh, Comfort as well, if, if you're also a fan, that draws you to comic book art that kind of looks like that? Well, I think part of what, well, let's, there's, hmm. When we first discovered Jim Lee, he was drawing X-Men. And X-Men, yeah. that cartoon was a breakthrough moment for comics. That's for what so got comfort into comics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very much so. I think if we're being 100% honest, and most of us Jim Lee fans of a certain age, if we were being honest with ourselves, Part of the thing we loved about Jim Lee's style was it was on X-Men. Mm. Yeah. Um, it happened, I mean, it clearly was extremely good. That matters. And there were other X-Men artists who were not as good, that were not as beloved, that didn't become what Jim Lee got to become. But if he had been on a different book, he might never have become what he is. So the fact True. that it was X-Men at a time when all of us were in love with the X-Men... And it defined, because it got so many people into comics, it kind of helped define a generation of what comics looked like. Yeah. Yes. Everything built itself off of that keystone structure. And it felt like a watershed moment artistically, too, because Jim was picking up a lot of what had been going on uh, in the last 15 years of comic art. Uh, there's a lot of Neil Adams in there. 
There's a lot of John Byrne in there. Yep. There's a lot of Adams in there. But it was arranged in a completely different way than any of those guys were doing. It managed to have so many of the best elements of so many of the best artists of his day all at one time. Uh, FYI, for anyone younger listening to this, you should go look up all these names. Because these are fantastic artists that the artists you might like that were the influences for them. So finding out who influenced the people you love will make you a better artist. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. Um, but, but as I recall it, uh, it's been a it's been been a minute since last I read those X Men things. Back then, Jim Lee's style were more emotional than it than it later came to be, wasn't it? Or do I remember uh, incorrectly? It's well, because... some of it's some of it's definitely nostalgia. But I do believe that when you're young, the tendency is you want it more. You're you're more eager. You're pushing yourself harder. Uh, the kind of things that Jim has to deal with now, the the amount of executive decisions he's having to make, uh, I, I feel like it would be almost impossible for him at this stage with the responsibilities on his shoulders to put everything he has into the art in the same way. And I think, too, it's important to know that for the time, Jim's stuff was more expressive than most of the other things out there in comics, which were generally very staid, and there was a house style, and people adhered to it. Yeah, Yeah. I I think mainly with the entire Image crew, actually, that went off and did their own thing, it seemed to me that maybe the emotional expression wasn't as present as in in some comic books as it is today like for example like you guys are absolute masters of it in my opinion i was looking at the expressions on the faces of your characters and it's incredible um and and jim lee's work certainly doesn't have it to that degree but what they did have going for them was the expression of action and i think that that's what they really brought to the table they just pushed and exaggerated the human body and if you want a great example of that todd mcfarlane was probably the uh you know the staple artist at the time that was really pushing the limits of our our physical abilities and and so i think that that's that's really what they stood for the physical expression of the characters and then you know now that we're in the a more modern age of comic books and and we are in a new generation now the emotional aspect of it is is much more of a focus and that's never a bad thing at all if you can combine those things i mean that's the the best outcome that you could possibly ask for and really all those guys came together to make people like us they are the people that were our influences that made us possible yeah absolutely we were looking at what they were doing and wanting to now take it even further Uh, And they had each other at the time pushing each other all the time. I can only imagine the energy going on in that era with all of those artists coming to that degree of prominence in a way that had never happened in the history of this medium before. And they knew each other and and could, like, look at each other's work and compare notes. And just the energy going on in the medium then Mm. had to have had a huge impact on the excitement level that they had to produce the work they were doing. Yeah, big time. Big time. And, you know, th- there was probably also that, that competitiveness of it as well. You know, when you when you get into the room together, you're talking about all these exciting ideas and and then you're uh, you're creating all this cool artwork. It's, it's one of the most inspirational environments that you could probably put yourself in. And I'm sure that's kind of, you know, for you guys what happens as well. You know, you're... you're oh. 
spurring each other on, talking about your ideas? Do you ever get look at each other's work and go, hey, you know what, I've got to lift my game? <laughs> well, no. I, I, yeah, definitely. Constantly. Definitely. Yeah. Cool. Um, all the time. There's And there's so many things that we have cribbed from each other over the years. It's why we look like the same person when right. we draw, basically. I mean, we started, we started off in the beginning, way back when, already having a very similar style because we liked all the same artists. We were headed the same direction. We kind of were looking for the same sort of things from our art. Uh, but the longer we've been together, the more we've influenced each other and just, you know, peeking over each other's shoulders while we're working on things thinking god that that is a good way to do mouths i should i should up my thing well heck we fix each other's art that's so. true <laughs> i mean this is gonna happen yeah. this this layout isn't working can you help yeah <laughs> totally All the time. that's so awesome i mean i mean i remember when i first saw you in the how to rock comics uh, group comfort when mm -hmm. you also when you also put in Adam Adam's work because Adam is too lazy for social media or something like that. <laughs> I just don't do Facebook. He doesn't do Facebook. Uh, he helps out with the other things. Twitter, Instagram, it, all that's fine, but I'm not doing Facebook. <laughs> it, it was a joke I caught up in, in one of your streams that I had to bring along. Totally. But yeah. But yeah, we had the problem, I remember as as admins, because we have this rule of not putting up other people's art yeah and it was so difficult you see even though comfort said that it was you and you uh all that but then she put up her own art and it's like but wait didn't she just say that this was <laughs> almost the exact same style we i, I remember ed for ed Feuchuk and we we were really confused at it because we were, but it's the same style how, how can it be so similar but it makes sense now. You meet at 19 and you just start drawing together all yeah. the time. And now you're 38. Yeah, it makes sense now that I've gotten to know you two a little better, art-wise at least, and how you work. That, of course, you, 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 your styles look, look equal as each other because you work on the same stuff. Oh, yeah. But it was, yeah. uh, it was fun at first when we were... Uh, when we, when we were, we were discussing it. Totally. We have uh, some pieces that we keep in our portfolio for conventions uh, that are just comforts and some pieces that are just mine as a way of being able to point out to people like, look, we are different, but if we didn't tell you that these were two different artists, you would never have I, guessed. And I think they're even more similar, though, now because those pieces are older. Yeah. And, and we are constantly growing constantly together. Constantly melding into one ooze totally that's awesome so like if anyone wants to hire you guys you, you you're the you come in the package right oh yeah package we write as a package too cool that's awesome so i, I want to delve into the the self-publishing of comic books for just a moment before we wrap up the show because obviously this is something that you're passionate about you've written a very comprehensive book on it which i was surprised that when i when i checked it out and you guys sent it through to me i was like this is insane this is this isn't just like one aspect of publishing comics this is the entire thing um mm -hmm. so you know i just wanted to ask for the other creators out there who there are many on our group now who have their comic done and they're ready to get it out there what's their next step how they should how should they go about that 
Oh, Even if you just get one tip. Which <laughs> I think is the most important because yeah. making your comic is awesome. But it's kind of the easy part. Yep. Totally. Everybody can figure out how to make a comic. What do you do next? Um, we think that there are a few directions you want to go. First, you need to understand where your comic belongs. Who is your audience? Where are they going? If you are doing something that's going to work really well for a primarily webcomic type audience, get onto Webtoon. Start going where the people yeah. are. Uh, make sure that you're getting in front of the eyes that are most interested in seeing right. what you're doing. Even with Webtoons, be aware that that is a certain audience of yes, a certain is. age, of a certain gender. And they like certain things. So sometimes, like, if that's where you think you're going to go, be aware that you may have to package things particularly well, right. for them. That's all part of figuring out your audience. Totally. Uh, Very important. So it... I think that the best thing to try and do is a multi-pronged approach combining web releasing and print releasing. Um, get things up online as soon as you can, as early as you can, and as many places as you can. Uh, people go a lot of different places for their comics, but typically what the modern Internet has shown us is that people don't want to have to go to a dozen sites to read a dozen comics. They want to go to one site to read all of the comics. Mm -hmm. So if you are just in one place, uh, especially if that one place is your own personal website, then you are losing a huge range of audience from people who don't want to jump to a different site. They just want to stay where they're at. Get as many places as you can be so that as many people as possible get a chance to find you. Also, you should do conventions. Yes. And for conventions, you're going to need print materials because you can't sell a screen. Um, Very true. And, well, you can, uh, well, you can, but it's going to be really... <laughs> well, Not a price yeah. break you're going to want to do. Comes included um, with the iPad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for early people just getting into putting out their own stuff, we do recommend print-on-demand. Uh, print-on-demand is not going to work for you long-term. But in the beginning, it allows you to print off like 20 copies of your book because you don't know how many you're going to sell. You don't know how much the interest is going to be. You don't want to have two or 3,000 copies sitting in your basement hoping that you can get rid of them. You're not ready for that, you're not ready. nor is your pocketbook. No, no. Uh, so you can get print-on-demand books for... Pretty cheap. Pretty cheap. Like we would do 30 to 36-page full-color issues for like 250 yep. through kablam.com, ka-blam.com. I believe wow. they're American exclusive, but there are a lot of options out there. We sell them for five and we're making 50% profit. It's not a lot, but it gets you started. And it mostly starts paying for itself. The downside of print on demand is it's kind of like a hamster on a wheel. You can get in really good shape, but you're never going to go anywhere. So once you've gotten yourself in that good shape and your comics are regularly paying for themselves and you are racking up high, high bills in print-on-demand because of how many you need to bring to every show you go to, then it's ready to start looking at doing an offset print run. And here you're going to be getting two to 3,000 copies at a time for you know six to $9,000 a go, but you're looking at pennies per book. Awesome. So suddenly your profit margin goes way up. Cool. But you're only doing that when you know that you can sell that many copies. 
Yeah, and did that take you some time to get to that point? Because, I mean, that's a big investment. You it is, and it bet. did. Uh, it absolutely did take us quite a while. And I think we probably could have done it a little sooner than we did. Yeah. But we thought it better to be cautious. Mm. We didn't get here because we were like, throw caution to the wind. No, that is not our style. <laughs> Definitely. And what do you find sells better? Is it that the printed stuff or the digital? Um, oh, boy. It depends really on sometimes what your audience likes. And I think that's a big thing to keep in mind uh, because... You want to be reaching out to the broadest range of people possible. And some people are just not going to do digital. And some people are just not going to do print. And especially for in extreme indies and self-publishers, it's difficult for us to get like into stores. It's difficult for us to get in front of people that uh, aren't meeting us at conventions, things like that. The, the broad outrange for your book is going to be relatively shallow uh, through much of the early days. So you need to be finding ways to expand that reach as much as you can. And that's where social media comes That's where social media comes in, but that's also why you want to make sure that you're doing both. Even if it feels like the digital isn't doing as much for you at the time, in the long term, those could wind up being your most important fans. You don't know yet. So as long as you're not... Sorry, go ahead. Suddenly, suddenly, your digital hits hits off. Let's say in Europe, for example, where your where your print doesn't come out, and you and you and you there's no con for you to go to. So, exactly. at some point, the digital just hits off in Europe, and then everything turns around. So you gotta be ready to handle the digital if it suddenly says, "Boom, we hit Europe." Yeah, yeah, you've got to be flexible. You have got to be flexible. That's you got to be ready to stick and move out here or you're not going to make it. Definitely, yeah. Um, and I, one of the things I love about digital is it's instantaneous. If I want to get your book, like I can get it literally the moment that I, I purchase the product. And mm -hmm. on your side, I mean, there's no real upfront cost. You, you've made the book. You don't have to necessarily uh, produce it as a physical thing. So... Really, all you're paying is maybe the commission to whatever site you've got it hosted on, which is which is usually really reasonable. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Especially depending on where you go. Like I know that Gum Road has some some very good deals on on you know what percentage they take when you sell a product on their site. Yeah. So I mean, and the, I think one of the interesting things is as time goes on, how that's going to balance out whether or not digital will increase in popularity, whether uh, it won't. Um, but I'm sure that'll be something that going into the future will definitely change. And yeah, yeah I mean, with iPads and and touchpads and that kind of thing these days, and instant and access to the internet pretty much everywhere now, um, that's got to that's got to increase. Just looks like a sign of the times to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, oh, it, sure. it, it's like not—it's like having a TV series and not wanting to be part of Netflix. <laughs> totally, isn't that so true now? Yeah, I think it couldn't be said any better than that. Big time. Hey, we need a Netflix for comic books. We do. We, we do. do. I mean, you're kind of sort of getting that with webtoons. Webtoons is interesting. It's a fascinating thing. But it does, like, their content and the way they curate it is... They're in the early days. Yeah. They're in their early days, and right now they're inviting sort of a certain group of people and not going beyond that. 
And so maybe it will become Netflix, but right now it's more like generally, not always, but generally Netflix, or uh, not Netflix, but Webtoons age group is uh, somewhere probably between the ages of 12 and 22 female. Cool. Cool. But Clayton, Clayton. That, that's uh, that's somewhat in, in the sense that you're trying to do in your how to grow comics pages with the comics you put up there for people to to buy and read instantly, right? Yeah, like, yeah, totally. In that sort. Yeah, big time. And you know that was something that I was going to mention to you guys. Actually, I don't know if you uh, are aware, but we have on on the HTD side just as kind of like an initiative to help get more independent creators out there. I set up a little kind of online store. Um, that helps promote independent creators and, and just gives them another place to get their work out there and make it available to people where they can come purchase your comic and download it through uh, Gumroad, as I mentioned before. So um, if that's something you guys are interested in, we should uh, talk about that um, you know, later yeah, absolutely. on. Absolutely. I think we should. For sure. That'd be cool. Um, all right, now we are over an hour, and it's just flowing by with you guys. You've given so much value in this episode, so thank you for that. We really appreciate it. Um, we appreciate your time as well. Totally. It's it been was, an absolute uh, pleasure. Totally pleasure. I, and as always, when people, when guests come saying, I'm, uh, I'm a lot more silent than, than when it's just me and Clayton to- talking because... I'm just sitting here like a sponge and taking everything in because there's so much knowledge and it's just, yeah, wow. Totally. Well, we talk a lot online together too, Rick, so. Yeah, we do. I so know I learned. Talk, you've got. Yeah, well, I try. <laughs> I try. I try. That's awesome. Well, um, Comfort and Adam, if people want to find your stuff and check it out, where can they get in touch with you online uh you've got an amazing website well thank you well, thank you it took a lot of time to make i'll tell I you can, that look <laughs> i'll just say real quick one thing i've noticed and and can tell straight away just from looking at your website and your work is how passionate you are and how much love you put into this like there's some nuances that that i can see in the way you've laid things out and and the effort that you put in that really tells me that you care about this and it's great to see i think that's something that indies have inherently because they're doing it for for different reasons it screams passion it Mm. screams passion as soon as you go into onto your page it's just scream passion okay this is this is not just a clinical website with the basics this is this is made with passion for people yeah. to really get drawn into. It lets people know who we are. So that website is comfortandadam.com. So you can find all things Comfort and Adam, whether it be our comics, whether it be our artwork, whether it yeah. be our links to our other social media, which, by the way, we're always Comfort and Adam yeah. wherever you go. Anywhere you go, look for Comfort and Adam, and if we're there, you'll find us. Oh, awesome. So Facebook, Instagram, it's all at Comfort and Adam, huh? All at Comfort yes. and Adam. Now, Fortunately, there's not a lot of people looking to take that name. So, <laughs> <laughs> Now, very quickly, one of the things, because this is an audience who is making comics here, uh, I would recommend um, for you guys, the audience, the how-to, the complete guide to self-publishing comics, and you can find that in bookstores, and you can find that on Amazon. 
But if you were going to get a book of ours, just because you guys are all making comics yourselves, the Uniques is really interesting because Uniques is the series we did to start in 2008. We did it until 2010. We took a break to do Rainbow in the Dark, the how-to book, and Kitty Game and came back to Uniques. And when we did... We released the expanded director's cut right. of the original series. So. Right. Right now, the first three volumes of Uniques are available, and in the back of the book, we actually walk through all the things that were expanded and changed and why those changes were made. It's like a, a small clinic on how to make comics and not suck. We do the sucking for you so you don't have to. Right. <laughs> That's awesome, guys. That's really, really cool. All right. Well, to the listeners out there, make sure you check out confidentadam.com. They've got everything confident adam on there that uh that i'm assuming they've got available which is i'm just amazed at the amount that you've already published and put out there and the fact that you've got a how-to book on publishing this stuff which is something that us indies don't have a lot of access to a lot of the time we're just flying blind and, and have no idea how to approach it and i'm super, super glad that that you've got this book out there to give us a little bit of guidance we just wanted to make the book we wish we could have found when we were getting right. started. And you can really thank our editor, Patrick, from Random House, who just found us seriously randomly at a convention. Awesome. And he went to our panels. And he said, hey, have you guys ever thought of doing a how-to book? <laughs> we're like, we have. What so do you do? Talk. That's super cool. And the book itself, I was very impressed with the layout and the presentation of it. It's really, really great. So well done on doing that, guys. Um, any final words, Rick? I really have little more to say. Go check their page because <laughs> you won't get disappointed. I took a, a, as quick as a read through the first uniques as I could, and it was just simply amazing. I need I need a better better read through it at some point. Your rainbow, the rainbow in the dark, the Grabbed, uh, grabbed me immediately due to the uh, due to the color you decided to pick, which was different in my opinion, and I loved immediately as well. So definitely go to the site and pick up their stuff. It's it's well worth it. Totally. We'll, we'll post a link in the description below the the podcast. So just check that out. All right, Comfort and Adam, thank you so much for being here. Do you have any final words? Uh, I other than. Thank you for having us. I just keep working your ass off, guys, fellow listeners, fellow creators, fellow creators, and you'll get somewhere. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And you're very welcome. It was an absolute pleasure to have you here. So thanks. Thanks for that. Thanks for taking the time out of your day and, and jumping onto the show with us. To the listeners, thank you so much for listening and, and sticking with us for the full hour and ten minutes. And Rick, as always, thanks so much for being my uh, my wingman here on the show. Um, until next time, everybody, keep on creating, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>